Good morning, church. Good to see you guys. Turn to in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes. That's where we're going to begin today. Today we start a series on the search for happiness. Um, and what this means is we're going to be walking through Ecclesiastes, the intent of Ecclesiastes. We're going to look at that today is to get us, maybe it's through a little bit of a valley of, of uh, questioning and pondering and thinking and praying, maybe through a little bit of a valley, but it takes us to the peak on the other side of the valley that Ecclesiastes is a search for happiness. And uh, one of my most influential quotes in my life, right after I became a Christian, um, was from Blaise Pascal, and he was a French theologian and mathematician who, who, said, who said this, and I think he, it, it conveys the spirit in which all of us as humans really want and search after happiness, whether we realize it or not. But it says this, it's a powerful quote. He says, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. I think it's a, a, a wonderful quote. To, to Pursuing happiness really is part of being a human being. <laughs> I think we all know it. We don't have to think very long about it, that we feel it. We feel it within us. This is not something we have to be, probably be convinced of in a book. Um, we know it and we experience it. And even in our Declaration of Independence, they take it a little further. Um, our forefathers, they said, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In other words, our forefathers said not only is it just core to the human experience of us wanting to be happy, um, but it's a divine right. It's why we exist from God, is to pursue happiness. It's a right. And, uh, and, and so um, I think everyone really wants to be happy. We all pursue it, whether we're aware of it or not. But here's the question I want us to start off with. What do we mean by happiness? Uh, I think let me, let's, let's all get on the same page of what we're really talking about, about here. Well, in English, uh, you know, we use the word happiness um, in different contexts and at different levels. Um, tacos makes me happy. Amen? We're going to get there, I promise. I'm going to try to finish short here so you could have your tacos. Every time I mention a food, everybody runs out and gets that food because they just start thinking about it, right? Uh, you could also say as a grandparent that my grandkids really make me happy. Well, that's not the same level as tacos, right? Hopefully. But you know, you're talking about the same word, you're using the same word, you're talking about the same concept, but you're talking about it in different levels because you use the word in a different context. Well, when we look at the Bible as a whole, it's not all that different from that. Um, maybe you've heard happiness is one thing and joy is another thing. Um, well, when you really bring that to the text of Scripture, um, that doesn't really hold true. It really Words are used interchangeably, and translations can translate the same Greek term, joy and happiness, uh, all over the place. Um, it's actually the word kara. It can mean joy, happiness, gladness, uh, and all of that. What really it depends on is the context it's being used in. But for the sake of this series, I want us to define happiness according to the book of Ecclesiastes. 
What is that happiness that Ecclesiastes is driving us to search for, pursue, and, and get, and have? Um, it's, it's specifically attempting to point us to the highest level of happiness. All right, so you got taco happy. You got grandkid happy. You got maybe, maybe one other, but then you got the highest. And, and that's where Ecclesiastes is driving us to. Um, and for this series, know that we're talking about happiness in that sense. Happiness in the, it, the kind of happiness that's rooted in other words in the scripture, like contentment, peace, satisfaction, tranquility in some translations. But know that all of these are aspects of talking about really the central same thing, happiness in the human heart. All of these terms are terms that are used to describe that same thing. And so Ecclesiastes takes you on a journey to make sure that you are not settling for less than the highest happiness that's made available to you in this world. You're not settling for the taco happy, in other words. That you're, you have achieved and you've done the process and you've done the work of getting to that place of the highest happiness available to you as a human being, and you've gotten there and you've received it. Uh, that's what Ecclesiastes is really after in our life. Um, and so when we enter into studying a biblical book today, and when you study a biblical book, it's very important that you do some analysis ahead of time before you enter into that book, um, and, and, and that you ask a few questions about it, because there are all kind of interpretive errors you can make if you don't. And you just read it surface level and you, and you translate it in a way that you would translate anything else. It's important that you get a structure here. And the first thing you need to ask is, who was the original writer? Who was the author of this particular writing? Now we know the Holy Spirit inspired divinely all the text of Scripture. But who did he use? What was, the con what was this person? Who were they? He incorporated their personality. You want to know what their context was, the way they were thinking, and all of those sorts of things. And we know that, um, well, tradition basically holds, and, and I believe this is really true, is that it was written by King Solomon. Uh, most likely that Solomon wrote this and composed it toward the, the back half of his reign as, as king, an older king. Um, and he had an intent. And a drive of why he wrote this particular piece of work. And so we see Solomon. We know about King Solomon. We know some things about him, particularly the back half of his life. And so it helps us understand a little bit about how we can interpret this piece of writing. The second thing you need to consider is the reader. Who is the intended reader? Who did Solomon see himself writing to? very important that you do that in the Bible because often it's a letter in the Bible and it actually has a very specific uh, person that you're writing to. But in this one, I believe Solomon had in mind the young Israelite, the next generation Israelite. I believe Solomon wrote this for young people to ponder and probe things that are really high and really important to make sure that from the beginning they have lived their entire life as a life well lived. I believe that's why he wrote it. He intended it to be something every generation coming up, the next generation processes and goes through and wrestles with before they enter into life and they would have a level of wisdom from this book and this text to guide them in living a life of wisdom. 
But thirdly, we need to ask questions about the writing itself. What kind of writing is it? Uh, so you'll interpret historical narrative, just a, a journaling of events, in one way. Uh, apocalyptic literature, you'll interpret it according to that. Uh, a letter that's written, you'll interpret it according to that. Poetry, you'll interpret poetry different than you will historical narrative. You just think about it and you read it a little different. Well, this particular writing is, finds itself in the wisdom literature framework of the Old Testament. Um, it's, it's lumped in with Job and Proverbs. Uh, some play Song of Solomon in there, maybe with uh, Psalms. Uh, some of the Psalms maybe, not all of them, uh, but the wisdom literature, it's contained in a, a genre that the intent of this writing is to lead a person in wisdom and to grow them in wisdom. And to just set up the book and the journey that you'll go through if you just read it, one way that might help highlight and give you the fullness of the experience is to know that, that Ecclesiastes is kind of written like a skit or a drama or a play. So imagine yourself in uh, a theater, totally dark, and there's a chair on the platform, and there's one little spotlight down on the chair. And sitting in the chair for this drama, there's no other, no, no other uh, structures. There's just the chair in a dark room and a spotlight. And, and in the chair is sitting a young person. And, and in, your, in their eyes, as they sit there, you can feel that they're a little antsy about life. You know? They're using terms like, well, I'm 11 and three quarters. You stop doing that at my age. You start backdating. And you say, nope, I'm stopping right here. Uh, but, but for a young person that's antsy about life, they're always thinking about, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. I'm almost a teenage. I'm almost, and, and they're always doing this with life. That is the person, whether they're in college, whether they're in high school, whether they're a middle schooler, that's the person sitting in the chair. And this particular text, all throughout the, 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 the text, if you will, or the skit, there is an older man who appears all around this young person. And, and, and appear, appearing from the black is, is a, a, a white-haired man. Maybe he's hunched over a little bit. Maybe he has a cane. And he begins to challenge this young person. He begins to probe. He begins to question. He begins to push on their, the, the assumptions they have about life and push them all the way to their logical conclusions and bring them to the end of all of those thoughts. And he wants to do it even with his own life. Listen to me, young man, if you could see him. I've been there and done that and got a t-shirt. And I want you to get where I am so that you live life with wisdom. From the end, back to the beginning and through. This is what Ecclesiastes is written for. It's kind of like the three ghosts with Scrooge. This is what Ecclesiastes is really meant to do to the young person to the next generation, to help them see life from a very high perspective, that, that, that you don't satisfy with just making decisions right in front of you all the time, and all you're thinking about is what's right in front of you, and, you, and what you desire, and what you feel, and what you chase, and, and, and that you don't live a life like that, that you ask big questions about life before you start living your life, and you hit the main questions, and you get the main things right before you even launch. That's what Ecclesiastes is after 
so that you live a life well lived, but also that you get the fullness of it. And you don't get, you don't fall short. Or that you settle for less. You get the fullness of life. And that's what Ecclesiastes is after. So shall we begin? Chapter 1, verse 1. And I want to say, no, I didn't bring you to, here to depress you today. But he did. Okay? Don't be depressed. Just take the journey. And especially you young person. With all of your life ahead of you. Go through the journey of Ecclesiastes. Let him shape you. The Lord will take it and use it in your life. And your whole trajectory of life might be shaped that you'll get the fullness of it. So let's enter in. Verse 1. I'm going to read it all the way through. I'm going to unpack it a little bit and then we'll, we'll finish up. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and it hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south, it goes around to the north, around and round it goes. Around and around it goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you'd open your word to your people. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to understand. And move us where you want us to go. Align us with you, O Holy Spirit, for your great glory and our joy. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. First thing comes out right here in verse 1 is the words of the preacher. It's the Hebrew term kaheleth. Um, it can be translated preacher or teacher, um, but more specifically, to help you out with this particular text, translation, the best translation, I think, is the philosophy professor. He is a, a philosophy guider, uh, someone who is um, using techniques where he doesn't just give you the answer. He doesn't just tell you, here's, here's what you need to know, note it down, know it, and now go live likewise. No, he's after a process in your heart. He's after you to come to conclusions on your own as he prods and as he stimulates thoughts and as he, he comes at you and he challenges your, your assumptions in life and he's going to challenge you and he's going to stir you in your heart and he's going to force a process in you of searching and probing 
And, and, and so it's a philosophy professor who brings people into the classroom and begins to challenge and probe and create a process in the heart that, bring, that you, yourself, go to the place of discovery. And so Kohela starts by sort of surprising the students with a declaration that might cause students to be a little bit like, what's his problem? Or maybe a little startled. And that's some heavy stuff. And it's intended to be. Why? Do I have your attention? The professor says, do I have your attention? He makes some pretty startling things here. And the word that he uses, vanity. Vanity. Meaningless. Nothing of value. The very first word out of the professor's mouth, vanity. That life as we know it in this experience that we're in is vanity, meaningless, empty. And in verse 3, he asks a probing question to clarify a little bit of what he means by this. And the question that he asks about life is a very important question for every human being to ask. It's a critical question. That the rest of Ecclesiastes seeks to help you find and discover the answer. What does man gain? What gain is there in this life? Tim Keller gave a great illustration of this and I want to use it on you. Um, Let's just suppose that uh, I ask you to come together And I want you to stand on the corner of William Cannon and Brody this Tuesday from 2 to 4. I'll see you there. And and, and I know that almost none of you are going to be there. And all of you are going to ask the question, what gain is there? You're going to ask, why? What purpose does it have? I mean, two hours of my Tuesday afternoon... I'm just, it's going to feel wasted unless you can answer that question, and I don't answer the question. And you go, I'm not wasting my time for no reason, for no gain. (laughs) The point of Kaheleth here is to ask the question and even make the statement that most people, most people live their entire life standing on the corner. And they never ask why. Everything you do, every move you make, when it's all said and done, is like standing on the corner. And you never asked why. Why do I do what I do? Why do I go where I go? Why do I decide what I decide? Why am I chasing this thing? Why am I living for that? Why am I wanting this? It's vain. The Kohelet says, it's a chasing to the wind. <laughs> You're standing on the corner. And you, didn't, and you won't ask why for two hours on your Tuesday afternoon. But will you ask why about your life? That's what Kohelet is pushing us to. And the conclusion of the matter, according to the professor, there is none. Every 
minute, second, day, month, year of your life is just like standing on the corner from 2 to 4 on a Tuesday. There is no gain. It is all meaningless. It is all vanity. There is no gain. It's a waste of time. Your whole life. Your whole life. In verse 4 to 11, Koheleth is proving his point. And he begins to take you into the cycles of this world. And here's what he's doing. He's pounding on you. And he's pounding into your heart reality. And he's forcing you to come to grips with some things about you that perhaps you haven't pondered or perhaps you don't want to ponder. In verse 4 to 11, he's almost stating it's vanity. And then he almost is listening for the students. Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. Everything is vanity. It's a waste of time. It's standing on the corner from Tuesday from 2 to 4. All of your life, everything you do, all vanity. Prove me wrong. Come at me. Let's go. You feel that? Because some of you are going, well, he's crazy. He's lost his mind. Has he? Has he? Then he uses this term, under the sun. Under the sun. And the term under the sun means this current life. This existence. Uh, the psalmist called it the land of the living, even used in Proverbs. The, the current existence, the universe, the way it is. Everything in creation. All who live under the sun. Uh, it just means everything in this life. The universe and the, our current existence. Everything that we are currently experiencing. And he says this, the universe that we live in is endless cycles of vanity. And when it's all said and done, you will agree with him, when it's all said and done, your life was vain. Generations come and generations go, is what he says. Birth, life, death, birth, life, death, birth. Life, death, birth, life, death. Planets go round and round. Circling, 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 circling. Never a finish line. Always coming back to the beginning. Running around again. Running around again. Running around again. Now I know you're like, okay, I'm exhausted with the whole thing you're doing there. Well, he's trying to exhaust you. Because he says, weary. It's all weary. Weariness. Water cycles, comes here and go, the rain comes down, hits the stream, gets to the ocean, the ocean's never full, goes back up, comes back in rain, here it go again, water coming and going, water coming and going, water coming and going. The wind cycles, the wind comes from someplace we don't know and it's going someplace we don't know, here it comes again, there it goes again, here it comes again, there it goes again, here it comes again, there it goes again. The professor is describing Everything under the sun in our current experience, everything in this universe that we live in, as a machine, a machine grinding away generation after generation after generation after generation, and it just grinds along, impersonal force, constantly just grinding, grinding, grinding. 
And it's the picture of a cold, brutal, impersonal, machine-like existence that we live in. One of my favorite movies to watch with my kids when, I was, when they were growing up was Madagascar. How many of y'all seen Madagascar? All right. Don't you just love that? That just makes me happy just looking at them. Uh, of course, zoo animals, I think they were in New York, Manhattan somewhere. And they were all, and they, from birth, they were all raised in the zoo, you know, and fed every day. And the lion was like the main attraction, and he would do the show uh, and all of this. And so this is the experience they had, but they always longed for what they were made for, right, and the, the world out there. And, and they kind of talked about it and longed for it. And they found themselves on a ship, and they ended up in Madagascar, in the wild, where they were made to be, free from the zoo, right, well, something began to happen when they got to Madagascar. The lion particularly goes, man, I'm, I'm feeling energy I have never felt before. I'm, a, I'm alive. And he's running around the fields, and all of a sudden he realizes he's got these razor-sharp claws. He's like, where do those come from? <laughs> he's like stuck to trees and stuff like that. And then the worst part about the whole thing is he begins to see his best friend, the zebra, as a stake. And he goes, what is wrong with me uh, but he can't even think about it because he's just operating off instinct and the next thing you know he's got his claws into his best friend the zebra and the zebra is like what is wrong with you and the zebra begins to be disillusioned about this whole thing that they were meant to experience and there's this beautiful scene and you go on youtube and watch it or something but a beautiful scene where the song comes on by Louis Armstrong, What a Wonderful World. You know what I'm talking about? I see trees of green, rainbows and all that stuff, and the stars at night. What a wonderful world, right? And it plays that song, and the zebra is going down this particular path through the jungle, and he sees a little butterfly float across his face, and it lands on a flower, beautiful flower over here. And then all of a sudden, he's like, oh, isn't that beautiful? And all of a sudden, that flower goes, shwack! And it eats that butterfly and it spits out the wings. And he's like, ah. And this little rodent walks out in front of him. And all of a sudden he sees it. And then the snake, and hits it and rolls. And it rolls into a bush. Um, and there's a scuffle. And then the rodent kind of comes out. He made it out alive. Right? And he's like, oh, good. And then right at then a hawk comes by and snatches that little rodent and hauls it off. What a wonderful world. And then he sees a duckling on the path. And that little duckling is walking across and it's all by itself and it's vulnerable and he saw all this dangerous stuff. He's like, oh, I need to protect it. So he takes that little duckling and he puts it on his nose and he, and he runs over to the pond and he gently and safely puts it onto the pond and the little duckling just swims off and y'all know what happens. Alligator, up from the depths, drops back down into the pond and you look at his face and it's like, oh, what a wonderful world. Koheleth says, have you looked around? Yeah, there's probably some wonderful things about this world. But I don't know about you, but my conclusion is this place is brutal. The whole thing's trying to kill us. There is no mercy. It's brutal. It's cold. It's like a machine. And I'm caught in it. And I don't like it. Um, why does that trouble us to know that we're in that, state, in that state? Why do we feel, do you ever see an animal pondering their existence going, what is this all about? 
a cow, why are they making steaks? They don't know. They're operating off instinct. But you know what? You and I do. We know we're in this thing, and we're aware of it, and it troubles us. Does, your, does not your finiteness trouble you? I think it should. It's part of being a human being. My wife loves to plan vacations for our family. And uh, she'll spend a lot of detail, a lot of time on the details and making sure it's just right and all that sort of thing. And we work together on it for months, right? And, and then we finally get to the vacation and we have the vacation and it's all good, all right? Um, but did you know her favorite part of the whole vacation? Is the planning. And I'm like, well, and she says the first few days of the vacation, right? And then it goes downhill on the last half of the vacation. Do you all know why? Can I get some nods of going, oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Because the last few days of the vacation, she starts getting overcome with it's almost over. And I'm sad. And I'm like, wait a minute. We paid a lot of money. This is supposed to be a happy time. This is not supposed to be sad. Why are we sad? Because in a couple of days it's going to be over. I know that. Can we wait till then? To be sad on the plane or something? Like, we're, like, it ruined all that. We spent a lot of money for this trip. Why are we sad? Well, there's something about the finiteness of anything that just stinking spoils everything. Right? It just messes up everything. And, and you know what? We don't want to think about it. I, like, like my response to her on a Wednesday and we're leaving on Saturday is, let's think about that Saturday. Let's just don't think about it. Let's pretend it's forever. Let's just pretend. And let's not even think about it. Let's just pretend this is, this is how it is. And let's not, don't go there because it makes us sad. And maybe, maybe that's how we might approach life if we're not careful. Let's not think about it. Let's don't think about that. Why? Because it spoils everything. And I want to be happy. And so I don't need to go there. Kahala says, no, the way to be happy is to go there. Get in it. Solve it. Solve it. Don't avoid it. Here's the question. Why are we troubled by that? Why are we troubled by our finiteness? Well, Koheleth answers the question. And he just kind of drops it in there in chapter 3. Nice and, nice and neat. Hey, did you catch that? But here's what he says. He, God, has put eternity into man's heart. God put it into us that we would know our finiteness. We are not like the animals. Part of the human experience is being aware of our finiteness, and then we begin to ask a lot of questions like, okay, what's this all about? I feel trapped into a system that I don't like. If you've ever felt that, you're a human. You're a human. One pastor I heard about preached through Ecclesiastes, and he titled the series, and I was like, I should have titled it that. Uh, it says, Here in the Real World. That is my favorite song of Alan Jackson. Uh, the boy don't always get the girl here in the real world. It's a perfect country song. It makes you cry. It's wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> but that is what Ecclesiastes does. It, bapti- it baptizes you into the real world. The real world. And it forces you to ask big questions. Haunting questions, hard, difficult questions, and wrestle with those things about the most important things in life while you live under the sun. And we have a long way to go. 
in this journey of Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is just warming up. Koheleth has just sent one zinger into your heart. And he's getting a, he wants a response out of you. And he wants you to start your own discovery. He wants you to start asking really hard questions. And don't ignore the hard stuff. Get in there. In your own heart, search. In your own heart, be troubled. In your own heart, come to the place where you get it. Especially if you're a young person. Here's the truth. There is a God. He created everything under the sun. He made it out of nothing, ex nihilo, spoke it into existence. This God needs nothing outside himself to sustain himself. He told Moses, I am who am. I am. I made everything out of nothing. And he created man in his own image. We have a special place in creation above all other created things. We are a human being. We can ponder and probe the depths of our reality in ways others can't. We fell into sin. And the trouble you feel about the existence you're in is that you are looking at the fall. You are looking at the severance of humanity and our eternal relationship with the God who made us. And that is troubling. The catastrophe of the universe was the fall of man from the God who made us. We rebelled against the creator. There's a price to pay for that. We were made for that eternal relationship, to know him and enjoy him forever. We're hardwired for it and the plug is gone. And we fell into a state of lostness, the Bible says. And it, lostness is the appropriate term. And when you look at this universe and you try to find your meaning in this universe, you're going to feel lost. Because you are. You're disconnected from your creator. And when our purpose and our meaning is removed from the equation, Koheleth is looking at our lost state and making perfect conclusions. Perfect conclusions. Without God... Nothing means anything. We die, we rot, we're forgotten. We die, we rot, we're forgotten. And that's it if there is no God. And you want to make something more of this life and this universe? You're going to be wrong. What a horrible reality. But that is all there is if this life under the sun is all there is. But in the same moment that we fell, the Creator promised a deliverer, a Messiah, that He Himself would come and mend the broken relationship through suffering and paying the penalty for the sin that separates us from God. God came through on that promise in Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. It is the supreme satisfaction for the human soul. Jesus is the answer to the greatest question a human being can ask. Why do I exist and what is wrong? He's the answer. What is life all about? Jesus provides that reconnection to God. He has accomplished everything necessary. The door is open. The way has been made. All may enter in. Without the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
the world and everything in it, and even our best attempts at living a meaningful life are at best standing on the corner two to four on a Tuesday. Waste of time. Nothing makes sense. Everything is, as Gohella states, vanity of vanity, meaningless. Without the eternal gospel of Jesus Christ, without an eternal creator who loves us, we human beings spend our entire lives trying to get this universe to satisfy an eternal craving that we have for meaning, purpose, happiness, and contentment. And the problem with this is that when we seek this level of satisfaction under the sun, we will find... At the end of our lives, that all of life truly is vain, and that is the most horrible thing a human soul can feel. In our lost state, we tend to seek happiness and ultimate meaning and contentment in the temporary things of this world. And when we do, we make this material world our master. Ecclesiastes is a journey. A journey for especially young people to ask big questions about their lives, to ask big questions about life in general. And the questions may be hard, but unless we ask and we truly ponder these hard things that Koheleth leads us into, a human being will live their life operating from instincts, instincts that say happiness comes from achievement. Happiness comes from being wealthy. Happiness comes from chemical manipulation. Just get your chemicals right. Take a drug. Do whatever you got to do to get the high. That's where happiness is found. Happiness comes from the right circumstances in life and controlling your life to get you the right circumstances. Happiness comes from having everything this temporary world has to offer. And they will chase those instinctively because they hadn't stopped and thought about the big questions of life. And the end path, the end of the dead end of those paths. Ecclesiastes points us to the real source of happiness, contentment, and peace. And says, until you have that, you have nothing. Jesus said in John 14, 27, a beautiful statement. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Listen to that statement. Not as the world gives. Jesus gives what the world can't give, and Jesus gives what only Jesus can give. My peace, the reconnection with God, our purpose, the plug comes in. Let not your hearts be troubled. Oh, is that a good word for you today? Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither listen, let them be afraid. I believe we have a lot of people afraid right now. I've been scared. Have you been scared? Yeah. It's rational. It makes sense. A lot of people are scared. Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. If I'm real and you have me, you have everything. You have everything. Everything that matters. Jesus Gives what the world can't. Jesus gives what only he can give. There's no substitute. Everything else is a sham. If you're seeking it for the highest happiness, the satisfaction of your soul. Ecclesiastes wants to bring us to the place 
now. Young people, he wants to bring you there now so you don't learn this at 65, 72. You need to know this. There is hope. There is peace with God. Come to him today. Have you come to him? Have you come to him and said, save me, I'm yours? Do you look at this world and feel you need someone to save you? That's the conclusion you should have from Ecclesiastes 1. I want out of this deal. Jesus says, I get you out. (laughs) I save you. But listen. Ecclesiastes doesn't just take you to that place where you kind of know your purpose. Once you have settled the eternal matter, here's the beauty. Ecclesiastes is going to teach you, now that you've settled the real matter, all of a sudden this world is going to turn into HD color for you. And the enjoyments and the happiness and the things that God gives us to enjoy in this world, you can fully enjoy them because they're not your master. But you got to solve the eternal one first. Ecclesiastes will teach us that in the weeks ahead. So when the things of this world aren't your master, it's amazing how much more enjoyable this world can actually be. That's what we're going to learn in the weeks ahead. Y'all come back. Please come back. Are y'all depressed? Okay. Don't be depressed. We're getting to a happy place. But it's got to go through the valley, all right. And so bring a friend next week because it won't be so depressing, all right. All right. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Um, And Lord, uh, you do not numb us to the real things of this world. Lord, you lead us right into them. And Lord, I pray for any person in this room who's off attached to a temporary thing in this world as their sense of meaning and purpose. Lord, bring them to the end of that path now. And oh Lord. Plug us into you. I pray that if there's any person in this room who hasn't stepped across the line and had their hope filled with the hope, their heart filled with the hope of Jesus, that that would happen today. So, Lord, speak to us by your spirit during this time of response as we sing a song, as we pray to you, as we seek your heart. Lead us where you want us to go. Minister to us, O Holy Spirit. But Lord, at the end of this journey, would you teach us what it is to really have life and have it to the full, Jesus, as you promised. That the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Be free. Have peace. And this life really makes sense. Take us there, Lord. We ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Will you stand with me all across the room? We're going to sing a song. Let's do business with God. Uh, Respond to him. Respond to his word as he leads you. Okay?